0: Well, it is a delight that I can induct Tears at La Bombonera onto the shelves of the football library. It joins the bulging South American section that also includes Angels with Dirty Faces, um, which is a book that Jonathan Wilson told me he had to, like you, he just had to stop writing it or it could have been an embarrassingly long kind of Quranic text. Um, But how many words does your book run at?
1: 100,000, when, when you take the forward and, uh, and the acknowledgements and everything else, it was, uh, it was just over 100,000 worth.
0: That's Tim Vickery, the legendino, writing the forward. Legend.
1: Legendino.
0: He emphasises how South America is the immigrant nation, football was the new phenomenon. And he also points out that as Europe went to war in the 1910s, the first copper America was um, at the same time. Uh, 1916, so that yeah. probably explains why Uruguay were the dominant football nation of the 1930s. And the 1920s, of course, because I think you have
1: the fact in in the, um, the Olympics of 1924 and 1928, which were seen as forerunners of the World Cup. They won both, so they had three, technically, three, or at least a Uruguayan would tell you they have three World Cups in a row. They then didn't travel to 1934. I think in protests. Money? 1934 was in Italy. No, I think. I think Mussolini. Well, yeah, there were probably many reasons, but they, I think it was a protest against the fact that Italy didn't go to the World Cup in 1930. There were many European nations that didn't take, you know, didn't take the World Cup in 1930 particularly seriously. And if I'm not mistaken, Uruguay refused to travel to Italy to defend their title for that very reason.
0: We'll stick with Uruguayans because your forwards uh, your introduction rather, is brilliant. I think it's, along with several passages in this book, is anthology worthy. The ultimate compliment I can say is that if I were compiling a best of the football library, your introduction ticks everything. Football, travel, culture, history, ground hopping. And coincidentally, those are the five elements of your book. Like the Olympic rings of Tears at the Bombonera um eduardo galliano football in sun and shadow i haven't even read it in english you read it in spanish
1: yeah it, it's uh, as, I, as i've tried to well thank you firstly to say. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for those exceptionally kind words the, the idea with the introduction was to get it to kind of represent the book in a much shorter passage um galliano i talked about it being um an ode or uh a pilgrimage to to Montevideo. I had been before, but I'd not been to a game. And the reason for that was that Paul McCartney's concert was deemed more important. I had booked a, a ferry from Buenos Aires to Montevideo to watch to watch their classic on Nacional against Peñarol, but of course uh, Paul McCartney came to town and they moved the game. So I I've been planning to go to that game for many years. Galliano taught me Spanish essentially that was a book that I travelled with it's a it's an exceptionally beaten copy I've got it on the bookshelf behind me with uh, pencil marks on every single page because of the short story because of the
0: um, are they like little essays
1: because, yeah they're one or two pages some are up to three or four pages no vignettes. more
0: vignettes I don't know what Spanish for short
1: stories is. the stories the short stories were ideal for learning Spanish sit down at a cafe uh, read the story and maybe five minutes if it took five minutes to read a page or two in Spanish highlight the words I didn't know I understood probably the story simply for the fact that it's about football and then I'd go through it and look up the words so if if anyone learning Spanish I recommend that book in particular as a way of learning words there are some you know it's quite poetic at times there are some antiquated words uh, and very colloquial words specific to Uruguayan that Rio Platense Spanish Mm. so you won't understand everything I certainly didn't understand everything and there are certain words that have crept into my Spanish vocabulary that people don't use whatsoever so I get a bright, you know, wry smile when I use certain words because I've learned it from Galeano that's but, interesting um, Galeano uh, was a good teacher
0: now he is, the, you say, is the most renowned Uruguayan is he the Paul McCartney of Uruguay or the Dolly Parton of Uruguay? <sighs>
1: Yeah, I don't think it could be a musician. I think it has to be. Uh, it has to be an author or philosopher.
0: or... or oh gosh. Um, it, it seemed to me that it was like really Valentino. People lined the streets when Galliano died. I don't think maybe Princess Diana, but that's a crass comparison. Um,
1: yeah, I'm thinking Noam Chomsky, but he's he's still alive, so that's, that's that. Yeah, Noam Chomsky it. would maybe be a left-wing politician.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's more like Galliano's more famous, or in a, in a global sense. More famous for the, the book Open Veins of Latin America, which is of the history. He, he calls it the rape of South America, Latin America, by Europe. So that's a, that's a heavier read, let's say, than, than the football book, but maybe Noam Chomsky.
0: That's very interesting. I'm glad I, I got that analogy. So that that introduces the book and then we plunge straight into Argentina. But that's not where I'm going. I want to go to Brazil first. I believe yeah. that we will win. What a shit chant. Yeah,
1: they've got a long way to bless them. They're
0: trying, aren't they? Yeah. Um, let's Yeah, go, I, men's national team. Let's go. My dad lives in yeah. Long Island, so my, I've got some sibling, half-siblings who will grow up as Americans, and I'm sure that they'll sing better songs than that. You were I hope at, so. At a couple of games in the tournament, because you went to Brazil. For the World Cup, and you document yeah. it in the book. You also document the process of getting the tickets, scalping tickets, which I found yeah. great.
1: Yeah, and we heard this from Russia, that I, from the Russian World Cup. I think it's quite easy to pick up tickets uh, on the street. It's certainly in the knockout stages of a World Cup, there are people who are holding tickets with the hope of their team going to the next round. And when that doesn't happen, they're not cheap tickets. I mean, Argentina, I went to the quarter final. So in terms of the hierarchy of football, that's going to be probably the, the biggest game I'll ever go to, because I'm certainly not going to go to Qatar. $330, and that was face value. What? So they're not cheap tickets. So if you're, you know, the guy I bought it off, an American guy who had the ticket in the hope that his team, let's say his nation, the United States, would beat Belgium to then go to the quarterfinal... And of course, three hundred thirty dollars. He was he was quite happy to be rid it and get home. I think. Other the other example in the book was Russian guy selling ticket. I think he had eight or ten tickets to um, to the last sixteen, which was United States against Belgium.
0: Or oh, the Tim Howard game. Than.
1: Exactly it, the best 0 until 90 minutes at least, the best nil-nil that I've certainly seen. That's one of those uh, questions that comes up quite often, the best nil-nil you've ever seen. Well, if it wasn't extra time, I think that was probably the most entertaining nil-nil.
0: Mm-hmm. Incredible, extraordinary. And I read Tim Howard's book and it was boring. But his <coughs> people ask him, how did you stop the ball? And he said, I don't know. Well, you train for it. You train for events like that and th- there was a graphic of all his saves and he was the octopus and it was fun. Uh, you also went to Iran, Bosnia and Switzerland, France.
1: Yeah, yeah both in Salvador da Bahia, um, a wonderful city for those who, that was the first stop on my trip in 2009, former capital of Brazil. The, um, a, a very Afro Brazilian city, wonderful, it's a very nice city very, and a very nice region, Bahia. And the stadium is wonderful, The built for the 2014 World Cup, the Arena
0: Fontenova, I think it's called. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you list all the, this is not wrong, this is at the end of the book, you list chronologically the matches that you've seen. Weeks after the World Cup final, Flamengo played Botafogo at the Maracanã. How many people were there with you? It
1: wasn't full. It was probably half full. And again, it would be a lot better, I think, if the four teams in Rio had their own stadiums because... They play, they all play at Maracana. The, the, I, I can't imagine it's full very often. Mm. So I think it was rebuilt and, or at least reconstructed, modernized, made uh, 90,000 seat stadium, if not more. Probably about 50,000.
0: It's going to be renamed very soon. Yeah. Guess who it's going to be, right. and, going to be uh, named after?
1: Probably Pele. Pele
0: is correct. I don't know why they're doing it. Maybe it's to do with the Netflix deal. But yes, it will become the Ray Pelé Stadium, um, which will host these four teams. Uh, and again, we're, we're leading up to Argentina because that's the meat of this book. But January 2016, you go to Chile. Was it very hot? Isn't Chile at the very bottom of South America?
1: Chile and Norway are very similar in terms of the structure. the long spine of a country. Mm-hmm. So in, Patago- in Patagonia, it's ice cold. I think in the in the south of Patagonia, you're you're talking about ten degrees centigrade for our American listeners. In the in the summer, further up, Chile meets Peru at the top there. This, it gets uh, very hot there. There's a like uh, conditions I was going to say. Santiago, the Chile, the capital, and so in in that summer is very hot, thirty five plus degrees, and it's worse really because Santiago is surrounded by. So that the heat and the and the contamination just stays in the bowl. So I actually prefer Buenos Aires, which is a flat, city. Escaping Buenos Aires from I was escaping from the heat, so should I
0: picked the wrong place to go. Uh, ditto Peru. Although it's nice to note that you saw River competing in the Libertadores, Peru, Summer 2017. I guess uh, you were in Peru because as um, Rafael and Nicholas's mum were over there. Or was the mum in Buenos Aires?
1: No, I met I met Olga travelling I, I left Buenos Aires in two thousand seventeen to move to Medellin. Uh, and of course I gave me the opportunity to travel through the continent, I was gonna say at least a part of the continent. So I went from Buenos Aires to Bolivia, Bolivia through Peru. The idea was to stay a month or two in Peru, going to Ecuador and then and then finally arrive in, in Medellin in Colombia. But Peru had so much to offer in terms of travelling, not so much football necessarily, but in terms of travelling, there's a history of Machu Picchu, of course, but there are several Machu Picchu's, beaches and everything else. So I ended up spending four months in Peru. And during those four months, I met Olga. We weren't together, we we didn't get together properly at the time I left and spent nine months in Colombia after meeting her, before returning to Lima.
0: Medellin is scary, there are murders.
1: Colombia has has a very good reputation now compared to what it did have.
0: Oh, because it's, cause it's safe. The FARCs have stopped fighting.
1: The FARC are now a political party, and there's a peace process, but it's it's a it's uh, a lot of political rhetoric rather than action. I think there are there are still 500 murders, and this is um, the paramilitaries are linked to the yeah, state. Yeah, there are 500 murders, and they tend to be lawyers or um, people activists fighting for the tribes in certain regions, particularly in the south, in the Cauca region. Um, Because loggers and coca leaf farmers, or you could call them, and narcos, there are a lot of conflicts there. So as a traveller, you don't see that side. If you speak Spanish, you might read the newspaper, but you don't don't necessarily see that side of Colombia. But I think it's important to note that the state are linked to 500 killings every year.
0: Colombia I know Colombia and you know Colombia and um, there are certain figures of football history that pop into my mind uh, for good and ill were you old enough I'm I'm talking Valderrama, Higuita and Aspria, but uh, Juan Escobar uh, the chap who was murdered in 94 who scored Andres I was too young but were you old enough to remember the Andres Escobar event
1: I was a little bit late into football compared to most I was born in 85 my first World Cup it was ninety eight? Yeah, I watched the one. final in ninety. Yeah, I watched the final in ninety four, but because it was in the states, I, I think my brother and I were allowed to watch it because we fell asleep during the game. It wasn't a particularly good game, of course, so that might have been the reason. But I don't think we watched any other game during that World Cup other than the final. Mm. So the first World Cup that I remember, and I was old enough to really, you know, get into every single detail, was the ninety eight World Cup. When I, I remember. So.
0: Grandma, I think we were at Grandma Helen's on Friday night and England played Colombia and Beckham scored the free kick and Valderrama had funny yeah, hair yeah that's, that's pretty much my recollection of
1: yeah. that game as well
0: do they still is Valderrama back in Colombia is he in politics
1: not sure if he's in politics he's in Colombia he's probably involved in in the football piece. he's very proud he's, uh, interestingly his nickname is El Pibe, which is from an Argentina, it's a very common Argentinian the rascal words. yeah Lads from the, the street, urgency. and there was an Argentinian playing, Argentinian player playing with his father, who, when his father came to the games with his kids, Carlos Fenderama, he called him, "Where's the PV?" So Carlos Fenderama has is uh, forever linked with Argentina, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> I think he's still involved. I think he's still involved in. Um, I think he's still involved in football up there. Wait, so he's, so he's not coaching or anything like this.
0: I'll look that up. Uh, I spoke to Jordan Florit. <laughs> I suppose his surname yeah. is superfluous. So Jordan, uh, whose book Red Wine and a Rapist came out at the end of last year. Fascinating story about the rise of Venezuelan football at the moment. I don't know if you've read that book. Have you had the chance to while you've, you've been editing Tears at the Bombonera?
1: That's the terrible irony of writing a book, isn't it? You have so little time to actually read anything else. So I haven't. It's on the list.
0: Yeah, you'll have plenty. Plenty to do. What is there to do in Norway in Oslo in spring, apart from go to the fjords?
1: You mean other than uh, during a global pandemic? Well, yeah. We cause... have um, also surrounded by uh, woods. So there's a, a wooded area and you can go for miles upon miles upon miles, go camping, there are lakes spread across the, what we call Maika, the northern Maika or the east Maika, It's is the forest. In fact, this time, not this time last year, but in the summer last year with no travel opportunities and, no European championships to go to. I walked through the forest to my brother's house, 150 kilometres, um, camping in the woods the whole way. So Norway's a nation of explorers, of campers, hikers. Skiers. And during the winter, skiers. So the idea of hiking in the woods becomes cross-country skiing. And that's the final, I was going to say, that's the final frontier for me to be a, a fully-fledged Norwegian because I have only half Norwegian, fully-fledged Norwegian, is to try uh, rakvisk, which is rotten fish. Crosscut, learning to cross-country ski. They're the last two frontiers for me. Well, that's uh, that. Yeah, slalom, uh, snowboarding, and skiing. Uh, uh, downhill. That's um, something that we grew up with, my brother and I. But oh, wow. cross-country skiing is something. It's a different. It's a different thing altogether. But it's, it's your. It's the equivalent of going for a jog, or, yeah. or in England's. Um, Cycling nowadays for the last 10 or 15 years have been particularly well. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe
0: that's my no, I uh, think you're right. Model, I think it's but... a cultural thing, and yeah, I, I think we should send more British tourists over to Norway. Um, you're more than welcome. I would love to go, I will, I will take and I will uh make sure that I have read uh Galeano's book and also your book, Tears at the Bombonera. Well, I've held it out long enough. Can you explain the difference between a Mufa and a Kabbalah?
1: Kabbalah. Yeah, Kabbalah is uh, a good luck charm, a good omen. It's, um, again, these are core principles of Argentinian football and they words very specific to Argentinian Spanish as well. So, la Mufa is some, it's something that brings you bad luck or it's something that you might do uh, to bring your team bad luck. So, if you're... When I was playing football in Buenos Aires, if you have a shot at goal or your teammate has a shot at goal and you shout "goal" before it actually hits the back of the net That's and it doesn't hit the back of the net then you've, you've jinxed it so the I guess the translation the best synonym the English word would be jinxing something so it could be maybe there's a player Gareth Bale for Tottenham for example at the beginning yeah. of his Tottenham career could be it was probably you know there are no Argentinian Tottenham fans 15 years ago or 10 years ago Unfortunately, there are a lot more now because of Pochettino and Eric Lamela. But Gabsbad at the beginning of his current career, career was probably La Mufa, um, a bad luck charm, or, or so, something that brought bad luck. Whereas Carvalha, uh Kavala, sorry, is the is the opposite. It's a good omen, something that brings you good luck.
0: Yeah, that, again, that's it
1: could be a player, it could be a superstition, socks, of the whatever it might be.
0: Fascinating cultural things. Again, football, travel, culture, history, ground hopping, somehow crammed into a 100,000 words uh, in this marvellous book that I will get a physical copy of. You can get it uh, through Pitch Publishing and on the shelves of your favourite bookstore or rented when it opens at the football library. Just before we talk Argentina, are there any other books apart from Fever Pitch? Have you read Wenger's book, for instance, or Ian Wright's memoir, or Stillness and Speed, the Dennis Burkamp book, and other non arsenalish ish lit? Uh,
1: no, yes, yes. I haven't actually got round to reading Wenger's book because um, it wasn't quite as revelatory as he promised that it would be. So a lot of people read it before I got a chance and I saw a lot of comments, so I'm going to... I'm going to hold off a little bit with that because there are more important books but in terms of football literature more general football, I mean I've read a lot of the Arsenal pieces and Football autobiographies pieces of what they are but recently I mean uh, I've reread the book Against the Enemy because I think that's quite an important football travel dog book if um, if I want to push the, the genre a little bit and when Friday comes you mentioned James Montague's 1312, uh, uh, 1312, I think he prefers it being called.
0: Um, so there's certainly two. My well, father,
1: sorry. another working class football heroes is on the list.
0: Yep, yeah, that book's not about football, it's about fatherhood, and it was, yeah, it's, it's one of the best. And what I love about When Friday Comes, it's James sent it on spec. He found those stories in the Middle East. And it's like Football Against the Enemy, which is very similar because it's about various bits of the world. Behind the Curtain by Jonathan Wilson. There are so many globetrotters who have travelled the world, brackets, to watch football. Yeah, the title of this book, Tears at the Bombonera, comes from a result of what I call entropy. There are certain music gigs that I've been to where you feed off the energy as a crowd, as an audience member, from the band, and thus return that energy to the band as a member of the crowd. And that's what went through my head, as you describe seeing Bocker versus River. Um, you bought a ticket for £65. Do you think you spent too little, given what happened?
1: You could say that. And certainly, when you compare it to the prices of the World Cup, yeah, I would have, I would have happily paid more had I known what was on offer. But foreign currency, you just you just part with it and you don't think too much about the, the conversion at the time. That was certainly the case at the time because yeah, I was quite no new to either. Argentina when I got the ticket.
0: You're on holiday, you hand over the, is it pesos in, in Argentina? Pesos. Yeah? Yeah. And you go and watch this famous game which is, as we speak, on Sunday. There are ways to watch this game. Uh, Daniel Williamson was telling me all about it in his chat about Boca Juniors. So will you be watching this Sunday and will you expect tears at Oslo near the woods.
1: I will be watching. It's uh, ten o'clock in the evening here, so that's actually it's a reasonable time. It, it um, I tend to be in bed by ten if I'm if I'm going to show my age. But ten o'clock on a Sunday is a good time. I have a good mate Roberto who lives in Argentina who lives in Oslo now. He met a Norwegian girl in oh. Buenos Aires at my at a house party that I had. And I don't have many house parties. He now lives in Oslo, and he's a massive Boca Juniors fan. We're not; we are allowed to gather in small groups, distance, open the window. So I have to say that it is—it um, will be done properly according to the regulations.
0: As well, yes. um,
1: but yeah, I'll be watching it with him on on um, on Sunday night. So we, whether or not there will be tears, I'm not entirely sure, but there'll probably be a lot of Argentinian swear words thrown about the room, and and I'm that the Spanish lessons.
0: So. How can Argentinian culture function in the last year without the beso?
1: The beso, the kiss, uh, yeah. I think they're probably still doing it. The, the, the thing about Argentina is so, there's so much sharing in Argentinian culture, whether it's the mate, which is their form of tea with the with the, uh, the metal straw, which Messi, Suarez, a lot of the and Griezmann, even, you see them arriving at the game Pogba as well, arriving at the game with a, a, a mate, boy, Marte bottles of booze, whatever it might be cuts of meat, the culture is very much about sharing uh, and then that, the greeting, the idea of giving a, a peck on the cheek as well, there's a lot of physical contact and there's a lot of sharing uh, of food and drink so I fear for Argentinians in terms of culture because they, mm. they were very good I think the first four or five months of the, their lockdown, they were they managed to keep the number of cases, or at least the number of deaths, officially. I guess I should specify. You do uh, say
0: Argentina is a corrupt country on a corrupt continent. I'll leave that there.
1: Yeah, but I also feel that at times I need to defend it. So okay. I like to think the best. I like to think the best of them as well. Um, at least the, the, the accounts, the anecdotes I heard from friends were that they they were very strict, uh, staying at home for the first four or five months, but then. Uh, lockdown fatigue hit and the spring arrived and people left their houses and and it was very different. I had a former student of mine. uh, He was 16 when he was my student. He's now 20, 21, flourishing as a young man. Uh, We talk a lot, actually, still to this day. And he um, he didn't see his girlfriend for four months. That's how strict they were. And uh, that's how well-behaved they were at the beginning of the lockdown in Argentina. I think they had 500 deaths. For the first four or five months, which was, for a country of 45 million, was, was exceptional. But then, as I say, once a few people start leaving and the police are powerless to do anything, it went tits up.
0: Oh, no. Well, that was the exact opposite to what happened here. But uh, there are inquiries being made, and I try not to talk politics. If you want to talk politics in the football library, you've got to get past Roy Keane at the door. Johnny Nicholson, who writes for Football 365, you may have read Johnny's work. Uh he's at the front desk and then and only then can you peruse Tears at the Bombonera. And you've got the tears. Um you, you quote Spinal Tap in the book and this is another um I'm not gonna spoil it, just read the book because this the story of um that match is, is sensational because it would not happen even in the UK, even Glasgow Celtic, which is probably the top game in in Britain you wouldn't have what you got in Buenos Aires in Glasgow. And can you recall the intensity of your emotions at that moment when the tears started to come?
1: Yeah, again, and by all means, I don't mind you talking, telling the story um, and and spoiling. Spoiler alert, it it doesn't matter. I'm more than happy for people to hear the story. Tears are in the um, title. The the tears are in the title. But I, I fear that people are... I fear that people think the book is more about Boca and uh, it's more general, but that's a different, that's a different point. I think um, this discussion will help people understand that it's not solely about Boca Juniors. Um, I went down there without a phone. I went down there without anything on me because of the fatalistic approach to safety and security that Argentinians have. I was told, oh, don't go down to that neighbourhood. Um, and uh, so I left my phone at home. It's actually massive benefit. Of going to a football game without your phone, because I I'm very much aware of what people, uh, you know, and I criticize people who film large swathes of a game idiots themselves. But I idiots, probably but go ahead. yeah, we are. We are. Uh, I say we are because I, I have done it, and I probably would do it in that on that occasion. I would have done it on that occasion had I had my phone with me. So that that was the, the experience was just amplified again to use a spinal tap quote maybe, uh, amplified by the idea of of not having your phone on you and being forced to just absorb every bit of energy in there. And of course this is not something that you compare we can't compare it to British football unfortunately at the moment because it's so sterilised and and part of the reason we, again, royal we we hipsters whatever you want to call us, the people who adore South American football or, or look to South American football as a remedy to to, to what we have in the Premier League and other uh, and elsewhere, is that it's a bit of a throwback to old, maybe football in the 80s and 90s before the Premier League in the UK. There's, the atmosphere is is raw in Argentina for that particular game and for the biggest biggest games, the fans are in there for 90 minutes to two hours before the game even starts, and the singing starts way before. And there's not there's no talk of standing in the concourses. With a four pounds fifty pint, talking about watching Liz Morgan.
0: Yeah, watching Soccer Saturday and yeah, talking about him. Yeah,
1: yeah watching another game and and yeah. uh, talking about fantasy football and celebrating. Yeah. yeah, as an Arsenal fan again, I see people. I see Arsenal fans celebrating when Chelsea play school score or Tottenham play a score because they have them in a fantasy team. Again, That's kind idiot. of what footballs become for us. Yeah. Yeah, they are now. I'm at now. I can say they, they are idiots because I don't do that myself. <laughs> I haven't played. I haven't done fantasy football since it was in the uh, the broadsheets, and you had to send it in the post. I That's
0: know the, the guy game. who brought it over from the states. He's a, a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, brought it over from exactly. America, and um, now it's big business. Unfortunately, and you've got chess players doing it. But yeah, I've, I I'd do it this year. But I, the d- way I don't care. Play chess like. players
1: doing it.
0: Yeah, correct. Uh, the correct adjectives. Um, he's kind of your Eduardo Galliano, isn't he, Magnus Carlson?
1: He's an interesting guy, model, massive mm. football, nearly champion. <laughs> interesting guy, and he's younger than younger than both of us. He's just turned thirty. Yeah, but, but what uh,
0: is age? What is age really? It's a it? passage of time and filling the time. Yeah. So So, um, so football in Argentina. This particular game that you go to has two players who would end up in England, and a ghost, and uh, yeah. and it's a fascinating. Okay. I, I would well, just... Probably more. Watford had a ghost goal a few years ago. Uh, Bocker have a... Was it River who have a ghost corner?
1: Yeah, it's a small... Something, I guess, the, again, modern football. Probably something Barr probably wouldn't even have uh, looked into. But it, it was a corner that shouldn't have been given in, in, in the last five minutes of the game. Uh, in terms of the players who scored, the, the two players who scored for River ended up in the Premier League. There are probably other players on the pitch who ended up in, in the Premier League or Europe. Again, which which is the tendency, uh, they get sold as soon as they achieve um, more. Well, a little bit, they they leave. So Manuel Lanzini at West Ham scored the winner, and uh, no, sorry, scored the first goal of the river. My brain has stopped.
0: Played for Everton. Played for Everton. Yep, Funes Mori.
1: Yeah, Funes Mori, of course. Went to Everton for a short period of time. Now at Villarreal, yeah, yeah, with um, with Unai it back to
0: Arsenal. You will. Well, I'm uh, just scored. trying to bring it back to Arsenal for the end. I'm trying to think of a really cool question that involves Arsenal and Argentina. Uh and there is one. There is one. There's there is one. A, an elephant
1: in uh, in the room there. But uh, and then Raquel spot the book juniors and that was that was um a special mm. thing to experience a Raquel May, free kick. The cult figure of Raquel May. I never latched onto the I did, it's not that I didn't latch onto him, I could see that he was a classy player, but some people absolutely adore Juan de
0: Román, Enrique Who is still uh, at Boca. Daniel was telling Cernier. me how yeah. he's one of the big figures behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah. involved in the administration of the club and very popular, very personable. Goes and meets uh, fans who are having a bad time or takes, you know, oh, takes yeah. pictures at least. You could expect But he's, he's a very personable guy, uh, very calm, collected, as he was as a player and collected on the, on the sidelines. It speaks a good game as well, it seems.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there is a way to get it back to Arsenal because it features in the book, Tears of the Bombonera. Um, Independiente, Racing, San Lorenzo. Tell us which of those three teams are were blessed, in effect, by a famous fan.
1: Various, I guess. But San Lorenzo, uh, Viggo Mortensen, the Dane, Argentinian, Argentine and... American, I guess. I think he has three nationalities, like myself. I say that because I'm half Norwegian, half English, and half Argentinian now. Nigar uh, <laughs> Mortenson is a massive San Lorenzo fan and has fought. He grew up in Buenos Aires, and I don't think that I don't think many people know that. But he speaks fluent Argentinian Spanish and is a massive Crow uh, as they call it, the San Lorenzo fans. And has fought uh, hard. He's been part of the campaign to get them back. Uh, to their original home, a stadium that was stolen by the dictatorship in 19... Well, the dictatorship was 76 to 83. I think the stadium officially went out of San Lorenzo's hands in 79 or 80. So Viggo is a, is a massive campaigner on behalf of San Lorenzo. And this is you, a... you might be thinking of the Pope, of course, now that I think about it.
0: Both answers are correct. Both answers are on the yeah. card, yeah. And there's Pope Francis, uh, who was uh, also a crow. And the club itself was founded by a priest who has since been uh, given a benediction. What is it? What is it? if you been beca- canonised? Canonised? That's the way. Uh,
1: yeah, canonised. Bring
0: yeah. it back to Arsenal again. Canonised. Ha! That's the way. No, but there is an even more pertinent explanation because you begin... Uh, you say your London family are in Barnet. Do they also make the yeah. pilgrimage near me to Cannons Park to watch... Or did they? To watch Barnet FC? They did. Um... My grandma
1: is from Barnet and uh, Underhill was one of the first stadiums, grounds, I don't think you can call it a stadium, one of the first grounds I went to. So it's it's always been my second club in the UK. Of course, now it's uh, it's not, the home is it's further, further from Barnet than it should be. Uh, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, um, my English family, my mum and my grandparents went to Highbury uh, and Barnet, Underhill, in the 50s and 60s. So... Uh, from their Arsenal to the Argentinian
0: Arsenal. Yes, well, and uh, just on a side note, this is, well, this is crazy. Um, Barnet have just sacked Tim Flowers. They've won three games all season. This is laughable for Barnet. Wow. Even Wealdstone are doing better this season. So I'll just, I'll I'll delete that from the memory bank. But yeah, I hope things are sorted with Barnet because I've been to the Hive several times. It's a, I was there when... They got promoted. I was there when they got relegated. It's a very strange sensation with barnet because it is just over there, a couple of miles over there. Um, Arsenal, the Argentinian version. Very interesting yeah. chapter about that. Arsenal de Sarandí.
1: Yeah, the creation of Julio Grandona, the former vice president of FIFA. Uh, and it's, I, couldn't, I couldn't actually get a definitive answer from our friends, uh, friends who are journalists as well, friends who are involved in the club. Arsenal de Salandi couldn't get a definitive answer whether whether the name comes directly from Arsenal. Well, there were two clubs. There was a very local club called Arsenal El Arse who were from the same neighbourhood, and then they were kind of created into a formal club by Grandona in the late forties, early fifties. So the timing with the great Arsenal side of the thirties and the original amateur team probably coincides perfectly. So it, it, we decided that it. I say we talking to Arsenal, Arsenal fans in Argentina probably is inspired by the, the English Arsenal. But there's no... I couldn't find any definitive evidence on that. But it's not quite... I mean, even though we're languishing ninth in the Premier League, I, th- I think uh, there's no comparison. Arsenal, Der Salandi is a small club. It's from a tiny part of uh, Greater Buenos Aires. It's not, even the, it's not in the city itself. It's uh, from just outside the city limits. Uh, it's been a small club throughout their history until Grandona, the football politician, allegedly corrupt football politician, uh, the more power he got, the uh, the quicker Arsenal rose through the system. So still to this day, Arsenal, uh, uh, I should say, Arsenal de Sarandi's um, greatest rival is a team that are still in the fourth division. And no other team in the Argentinian Primera consider them to be a direct rival.
0: Gosh. No, that is. That's fascinating. And about halfway through that, I thought, imagine if there was an Arsenal fan TV. Puta, Robbie, puta! <laughs> Ridiculous. I actually, um, I haven't said this before, but my brother sent me a birthday message from Robbie, who said, Come on, you support Watford, mate. Support Arsenal. But I actually have met Robbie. Uh, I saw him. Arsenal ladies were playing at the. Arsenal woman were playing at the FA Cup final. I saw Robbie, and I just instinctively went, Venger out, Venger out. <laughs> But he, to which he replied. Um, he probably went, give me some money and I'll say the catchphrase. No, what did he say? Yeah, he, it was before Arsenal fan TV had blown up and were told to get out of our club. But it's Stan Kroenke. Cronky's the problem. Kroenke's always been the problem. And the, my final question is, which of the Valerenga squad should we be looking out for this season in the Norwegian premiere?
1: I'm sure how to pronounce the name. Samus Sadawi is a uh, is a nineteen year old fantastic player. Maybe I should pin the pin his uh, Twitter account onto my own, one of his tweets or something, because he's um he puts out his own hi- highlights. He's, uh, he's uh, a <laughs> quite seems to be quite a humble. Kid. I mean, he's a very technically gifted player. If I say that he's Santi Cazorla esque, but plays on the wing. I don't think that's unfair, but you have obviously have to adjust it for Norwegian standards. Not that Santiago Cazorla, obviously, he's playing in Qatar, so you can adjust it for Qatari standards. If you oh, wish. he was but, great, Cazorla. Right. Um,
0: Again, one of Wenger's. He was. was
1: yeah. Exactly, and and how we miss him. I mean, yeah. we had we had players like him, Jack Wilshere, of course, Thomas Rosicky, just taking one touch and then giving the ball away, and and let's say that our current midfielders don't compare, but. We don't go into that. Osami Sadawi at Wolleringa is a fantastic prospect. But actually, what you what, what, what have done recently is uh, partnered with a lot of the smaller clubs in the neighbourhoods and they've picked up a lot of good talent rather than just nicking the talent, which is what Norwegian clubs used to do. They've, they've gone for a different slightly different model now and partnered with local teams and are starting to pick up a lot of young players from the east of Oslo, which is a hotbed for Norwegian football. And they're starting to get a lot of talent through, so it could be an interesting team to follow. They've got a good coach. Uh, it's a big club that have been underachieving massively for for a long, long time. Well, essentially their whole history. So, um, <laughs> if anybody wants to keep an eye on Borussia, I, I highly recommend it. It's probably the best time to do so.
0: We've, I keep on having this conversation about the UEFA Conference League, but isn't it good that Norwegian clubs will be able to compete? More so, because I imagine the Norwegian champions will, or the second place, will drop into the conference, and the winners go into the Europa League. Imagine that
1: the winner will have to play a qualifier for the Champions League, but they'll probably have to play three qualifying rounds. I think that's how it's been done recently, right. the okay. last few years. Long gone are the days that Rosenborg qualified directly.
0: For South America, who's going to win the Copa Libertadores this year?
1: And no, it has to be an Argentinian or Brazilian team, as it, as it tends to be. I'll say Boca Juniors for the end of it.
0: Ah, and there's plenty of Boca, uh, including The Tears, shed by Christopher Hyland or Hulland at La Bombonera, which is out as we speak. Uh, get it where you can. This is one of the books of the year. And uh, I hope you have time to read some other books. But in the meantime, go and put on your Arsenal Circa Sega Dreamcast era shirt and sit through the latest round of Arteta's Arsenal. Indeed, Doug. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much, Johnny.